following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. I've guided uh, my granddad that homesteaded in 1888 in Colorado, started the outfitting kind of deal, part of our life in 1903, 1905, taking, helping take. It was a big entourage of people um, helping outfit Teddy Roosevelt in 1903 and 05. And, and so uh, I started at 13, and Clay Walker is a, a friend of one of the ranchers that I guide on, owns a couple of the ranches that I guide on. And uh, so last year he made me feel really old because he came out and said, did somebody say you started guiding when you're, you're – um, 13? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're 64. You've been guiding 51 years. And all of a sudden I, I just had visions of a walker and cane. I thought, you know, I, that 64 doesn't seem that old. I was able to complete my grand slam of sheep with a horrendous uh, bighorn sheep hunt that was a 10 day hunt in British Columbia and, and, um, Went, went 23 days. We rode out horseback 34 miles on the 23rd day. We got snowed in, ran out of food, got caught up high. I popped a hernia and tore a quad muscle. It was a mess, but I did get the sheep. So I thought, I didn't feel that old till I'd been figuring out I did an outdoor job for 51 years, Matt. And so I think I'm ancient or something. I don't know. But let's get to God's Word. And, uh, and Matt is correct. The Fellowship of Christian Cowboys was the first very first organized cowboy ministry, very first ministry we know of that carried the gospel to the rodeo arenas. And I got to help be a part of that in 1973. Tom Landry, we actually started as a chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We were the cowboy chapter of the FCA. And Tom Landry was kind of our sponsor, so to speak, kind of our contact or a lot of that. And then he and others encouraged us to... to um, just branch because we're quite a bit different athletes in the rodeo world. They certainly are athletes, but um, uh, so we so we actually branched off and founded uh, our own um, not chapter, uh, but but our own uh, fellowship. Anyway, um, if you guys who has their Bibles and does not have their mouth full, Matt Matt is one. Okay, let me give you a couple of things here, and I'm going to put this down for a second. So um, if, if Matt, if you'd grab uh, Hebrews 6.19 for me, and you'll have to yell it out to me. Who else has their Bible in, a, in an unfull mouth? Anybody? Nobody has Bibles. We've got, okay. All right, brother. Oh, all right. Eric has one. Why don't you take it? I wore this, this young man out. He's been working all of our, our new chapter, Matt, um, um, helped had this vision to start again we had a chapter for some years but start the greater houston chapter of the fellowship of christian cowboys and it's been just fantastic but eric if you'll get um romans 8 24 and 28 for us most of many of you have romans 8 28 memorized but let's look at 24 and 28 so matt's going to start first with uh, hebrews 6 19 and then we'll get romans 8 24 and 28 from eric Okay, so an inner hope, and there's, there's actually a part of that 
if I got him the right verses, total, that is the right verse, but there may be an extension on there that says a hope is not a hope if you can see it. Or maybe that's in Romans 8.24. But what's it say for us, Harry? Amen. And so the message I want to share with you and the questions you have to answer, and Eric, help me out um, because I know we need a certain amount of time to do questions. What, what do I have till? Just give me an ending time and we'll do it. 7.05. Okay, perfect. Fantastic. What we're going to talk about today is something that all of us deal with, and that is struggles. We all have them all the time. Um, Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham Lott, uh, made this statement, there's a broken heart in every seat, in every pew, in every church in America, every Sunday. And that is true. There's something that burdens us and, 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 and we struggle with. And if that's true in every church in America every Sunday, it's certainly true with everybody not in every church in America. Struggles are part of everyday life. They're just part of being alive. They may be little tiny ones. They may be huge ones. We may get blindsided. I've been preaching in our cowboy church Monday nights in in Colorado um, on the life of Joseph and what he went through. And he got blindsided a few times, went out to see his brothers and got thrown in a pit. They were going to murder him and then throw him in a pit. And then he got sold to the caravan. You can imagine how much fun that was being a slave in that day. Wouldn't be real fun anywhere in the world today but being drugged behind um, a caravan and wear your sandals out. It was 200 and some miles, the best I can figure, from where the brothers were with their sheep and threw him in the pit and sold him to the caravan to, to where they went in Egypt, close, 200 and some, and then put on an auction block where they were stripped naked and prodded and teeth checked like a, an animal and bought by Potiphar. And, of course, you know the story framed by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. Prisons aren't too swift today. Can you imagine what they'd be like with no refrigeration, no sewer, no running water, no just the filth of, of laying in that mess? He got blindsided pretty bad. Now, hopefully yours hasn't been quite that bad, but sometimes it's that bad in a different way. There's a phone call from the police department. There's a phone call from the doctor's office that says you need to come down. The doctor needs to see you immediately after your test. There's a phone call from... Uh, whatever an ICU and somebody you love, or there's a, whatever it may be, we get we go through struggles. So hope is that incredible word that really only applies in the truest sense to Christians. It really does. That's not a prejudiced statement. That's just the truth. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And I mean, there's there's hope like we used to have. All of us have had when we were taking a test in school. Lord, I didn't study, so I hope I pass this. That is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not based on something we wish would happen that we didn't prepare for. Biblical hope is based on, it's a, it's a trusting expectation that God is going to fulfill his word. Amen? That would have been a good question, Eric. I just thought of that. But anyway, a trusting expectation that God, I should put that in my notes. That happens to me sometimes when Matt told on me when I'm witnessing. Have you ever had that happen where you'll just share something you'll go, Wow, would you mind, because I've never thought of that before, and I'd like to write that down before I go on witnessing to you, because that was really good. It just comes out, but I hadn't thought of it in that way before, but hope is a trusting 
expectation, a belief, an expectation that God's going to fulfill his word, that what he says will happen. That is true biblical hope. And so those passages are there. I read about a solar-powered airplane that they're planning on flying around the world this year. I think I read about it in 2013 that is powered with enough energy when the sun shines during the day that it flies. It has no alternate power. It's totally solar-powered. So it retains enough energy in whatever cells they've built into the airplane during the day that it flies all night, and they can fly all night. And, and they didn't explain to me in the little article I read what happens if the sun doesn't shine the next day. But what the guy said was, every time I see the sunrise coming up flying that, it's a new, it's a new hope or a new expectation. He didn't use it in the biblical word that we're going to be able to fly for another day and night because that's that's fulfilling that. Now, someone, uh, Eric, if you have your whole Bible with you or, or Matt or somebody loud there, read Lamentations for us, chapter 3, because I have the Cowboy New Testament and it does not have Lamentations in it. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. The guy's statement was, when the sun rises, it brings again a hope that you can continue through another day and the darkness of another night. Well, that's how we feel sometimes when we're struggling. And then I'm going to get to some one-liners you'll like. Have we got it? Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. Isn't that an incredible passage? Some of you have memorized that. All of you have read it. All of you have heard it, whether you knew it was in Lamentations or not. Because I, I realized when a bunch of you looked up to me like, <laughs> he is getting old. I don't think there's a book in the Bible named Lamentations, probably. So several of you were pretty shocked by that. But um, but you've heard the verse. Isn't that his his faithfulness is is new every morning? And that's the same as it was for that airplane. And so... That came through the mouth of Jeremiah when they were in the depths of despair in the city of Jerusalem. It was being invaded by Babylonians. And what he's saying is no matter what, God's mercies and compassion never leaves you. We struggle. Sometimes our struggles seem worse at night, and there's a darkness of night. My brother James, and you didn't know I had family here, did you? Birth brother. My birth. James, stand up. Wave at everybody for me. Some of the people last week doubted we were birth brothers. I don't know why, because when he got... I told him we have the same father, we just have different mothers. And and um, that's true, brother. We got the same heavenly father. When he was born again, we became birth brothers. And James and I met last year. We've had a neat year of staying in some contact. I prayed for him. But he had some dark nights in his life. He had some tough times here, right here in Houston. And all of us have in different ways. And so it does seem worse at night. But yet the scripture says in Psalms chapter 30, verse, verse 5, Weeping may endure for the night. But what? Joy comes in the morning. Thank you, brother. Joy comes in the morning. So here's some one-liners I want to share with you before we finish that I've kind of put together to hopefully encourage you to bring hope, for God to bring hope in your life when you're struggling. Because all of us struggle. And can I tell you, let's be really honest, I've, I uh, began pastoring a church in 1973 we helped start the Fellowship of Christian Cowboys in 1973. I was associate pastor in 73 for two years and then came to a church. God is always, when I, if I ever slow down enough to 
write um, a book. I'm going to call it Thrown Through Walls because God, we talk about God opening doors. He never opens doors for me. When I share this testimony, I have people say, that is so incredible. What a wonderful testimony. I'm going, I don't think so. I think he thinks I'm too dumb to find the door. And he just throws me through walls. And then I'm in that room and I'm going, okay, this is obviously where I'm supposed to be. Because it just happens that way. So it happened that way when when I had um, got called to my first church to pastor. And I'd never done that. And I was 25 years old. And and uh, they had had a Southern Baptist Church. They'd had 17 pastors in 21 years. They were the biggest joke in town. There was 30 people attending. There were 1,300 and some people. I did the traditional thing you're supposed to do, Eric, and that's to go to the power companies and get a survey how many people are in your area to reach. 1,360 some people. And in six and a half years with a stupid kid who'd never heard series through the Bible. My, my only pastor I'd had since I'd been saved preached topically. He laid out two messages on family each year, two messages on tithing each year, and just which is fine. But I just thought, gosh, I, I'm just going to preach. So I didn't know. I'd never heard of Chuck Swindoll, 1975. So I just started preaching on Romans on Sunday night and, and John on Sunday morning and preached through Romans for three years. I didn't know Chuck says you've got to do a concise 8- to 12-week series. So I went three years. But we saw over 1,200 people saved in the next six and a half years and baptized over 1,000 in that little church. And God broke loose in revival in an incredible way. And that opened the door. And I got to preach at Ridgecrest and with Billy Graham and with um, Ronnie Dunn and um, Mrs. Stewart from Europe, James Stewart's wife, the great revivalist's wife. He had been pa- he'd passed away. Amazing things on revival that God has done. But in the midst of all of that, there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of heartache. And so here's some statements for you. You can jot them down or I'll try to, I can get them back to Eric if you want them that way too. All of us fail. All of us fail. But some of our greatest victories come out of failure. Think of Abraham Lincoln. He lost every election he'd ever run for except the one that counted most to bring us through the Civil War and became president. Here's what I was going to say. As long as I've been in church... I want to tell you the fact. We lie in church more than we lie other places. Here's the biggest lies. There's two big ones. One of them is we walk in the door and the greeter or the pastor or the person says what? How are you doing? And we always say, fine. It shocks them to death if you go, you know, I've really been going through depression. Could you pray for me? I mean, it just it, it, mess, it messes up their whole Sunday morning, if you're honest. So we just lie. I mean, we really do, guys, partly because it's just natural. We just say, I'm fine, and we're not fine. Our heart's broken. Our kid's going through something. We've gone through something. Our wife left us, or whatever situation it is, we just got diagnosed with cancer, or we have the possibility of it, and the test is in. We're not doing fine. Second lie comes if we get honest and say, you know, I've really been going through depression lately, or I'm really struggling with something. Would you? And immediately, they, after they get through the reaction, they'll say, well, I'll pray for you. Of course, that prayer is supposed to come after they go on and teach Sunday school, after they do this, after they go through church and worship, after they get out of church, get in the the truck and turn the radio on and catch that and go to Luby's or whatever the cafeteria is, and then they visit there. Then they get home, watch the football game, and probably never pray for you. So we lie both ways a lot of times. And I'm not down. I love the church. I'm not down on the church. I'm just saying that's the truth. Instead of sharing our heartaches. Our failures can be our greatest guide for the future. It's always been that true. 
been true. Uh, Adrian Rogers was one of my, my close, close friends before he passed away and came to Colorado Springs all the time on the board for Focus on the Family, but I knew him many years before that when I was State Evangelism Director for Colorado for Southern Baptist and brought him in to speak, and I'd met him before that, and we became good friends. But he said that, that his his greatest struggles were where his victory came. Matter of fact, his statement to me was, Grant, I was saved on the streets of Florida where I had caused so much problem and fought people and done all those things, and I was filled with the Spirit and didn't know it. Then I went through all my classes, and I went through all my Bible studies, and I went through all my college degrees, and I went through all my seminary degrees, and I went into the ministry with all of this knowledge on how to do this for God, and I was not filled with the Spirit, and I didn't know it. And when God broke him, he said, I got on the football field behind that church, not Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, where he, where he finished his pastorate, that great church that R.G. Lee pastored, and you don't know those names, but great heritage, but... Anyway, he said, I got down on my face, and I wasn't low enough, and I, or I got down on my knees. I didn't feel low enough with, with the brokenness and, and the failure in my life and the struggle and the pride and the lack of dependence on God. And I laid on my face in the turf, and I didn't feel low enough, and I literally dug out a little hole in the grass on the football field and buried my face in it and said, God, I'm as low as I can get before you. I am so sorry. I'm so sick of my pride and my knowledge that I've, I know how to do all this for you. I don't need your help. I don't need the Holy Spirit. And I became filled with the Spirit, and I know it, and I never want to go back. That was his testimony. Someone else, Billy Graham made the statement that God never, never uses someone until he's hurt them deeply. Um, Wimber made the statement that don't, don't ever trust a Christian that doesn't have a limp. We all have limps, said James, and we all struggle. So here's, here's the things, and we need to finish up. God's the healer of broken dreams, the restorer of, so, of stolen years. But often, the door to opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition and struggle and heartache. Charles Spurgeon said, The suffering that you have now is just the black velvet on which the diamond of God's glory will be revealed. And so, when you're in the middle of a storm, guys, I want to encourage you in your discussion. There are some questions about that. When you're in that storm, what seems to be a problem to you, always remember, is not a problem to God. Everything that you're, that's above your head, everything that you've sunk under, the circumstances, the problems, the struggles, the heartaches, is under his feet. It may be over your head. You may be sunk in the mire, but it's, it's under his feet. And failure, when God is in your circumstances and you trust him, failure is never final. Failure can be our friend. It's never final. It's always safer on the waves with Jesus when he says, come to me, than it is in the boat without him. You with me? We tend to trust in our boat, our, our stock investments, our whatever it is, our job security. I'm promising you it's safer out on the middle of the worst waves there, there is possible in human life with Jesus than it is in your boat, whatever your boat is, without him. And so I want to encourage you with that when you go through those. When trouble comes to you, uh, someone, I think Adrian might have said this, because there's so many things in the times we were together, I, I realized I got little one-liners. He was a master of that. But something like, um, if the trouble you go through doesn't lead you to worship God, you've wasted a lot of trouble. Now think about that. That's a great statement. I don't come up with them that good. When, you, when you're going through troubles, when the trouble that you're going through doesn't lead you to worship God even more, to get closer to God. You've wasted a lot of trouble. So doubt 
is doubting is to your spirit what pain is to your body. It should, it should cause you to do something. Look quickly at your problems, but look at your problem, evaluate that quickly, and then look to God. One of the greatest things I found years ago was a, was a Jewish gentleman who'd come to know the Lord, a, a, a completed Jew, because he'd found the Messiah in Jesus Christ. And as he prayed, he still prayed with a Jewish prayer, and he reminded me that's how they prayed. Oh, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob was how often the Jewish folks started their prayers. And what they're doing with that is, think about this. The more you focus on your problems, the bigger those suckers look. Huh? The bigger they get. They're insurmountable. I mean, you want to see huge problems, Eric? Turn them over to a committee. By the time they've discussed them, nobody can handle them. I mean, they're just big. Now, I'm just teasing. But anyway, but here's the problem is, the more we focus on that problem, the bigger it gets. And it's like... God, this, it's imp- I can't. It's impossible. I'm giving up. I want to commit suicide. I want to leave. I want to do this, whatever it may be. What were the Jewish guys going? Oh, here's this huge problem, but God of Abraham. What did you do for Abraham? Was going to, uh, what about Isaac when he's going to be sacrificed by his dad and you provide all of this? Oh, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. By the time they get done focusing on God and praising, which is what we should do, then they go, and God, there's that big... Um, where did that thing? Oh, oh God, there's this tiny little problem compared to you. Huh? The more you focus on the problem, the bigger it gets. The more you focus on God. Now evaluate your problem and then look to God. Look to God. It's like with Joseph. It's like with a, um, not Joseph. I've just been preaching on Joseph. It's like with David. When, when he comes in King Saul and all the mighty men are looking at Goliath and going, look how huge that guy is compared to us. You with me? And David can't even hold up the armor, can't even pick up anything, can't carry the sword, and walks out and goes, look how little that guy is compared to God. Hello? That's exactly where we are with our problems. We have problems, you go, look how huge that problem is compared to me, instead of look how small that problem is compared to what God's size is. So God doesn't want to give you the wings of a dove, like the great old hymn says, to fly away from your problems. He wants to give you wings of an eagle to soar through the problems. And he always promises through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't leave you in the middle of it. Let's bow our heads together, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.